Could the Jets make a trade for a quarterback? We'll discuss today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, October 11th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thank you so much for making the show your first listener, first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you're listening on a podcast source and enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each Wednesday we try and do a show with listener questions. I answer them. Let's begin. Our first question is about the quarterback position. We could make a serious run after the bye if we get competent quarterback play but I am not sold on Zach. Are there any quarterbacks you think might be available at or before the trade deadline that might be worth making a run at if he disappoints on Sunday? Well, you know, it's kind of a catch 22 because I I don't think the Jets are going to be able to win if Zach Wilson disappoints on Sunday. This is not a team in the Philadelphia Eagles that the Jets are going to be able to skate by the way maybe they did against the Denver Broncos. I don't think Denver played a particularly great game this past Sunday, but the Jets were able to win because, you know, Denver is one of the worst teams in the NFL. You are now going from one of the worst teams in the NFL to one of the best and arguably the best in the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think it's going to need a quality performance from Zach Wilson to get a victory in this one. Uh, So it's a tough call because if you fall to two and four, now I've said the Jets are still alive at two and four, but that, you know, being alive at two and four is a little bit different from feeling like your chances are very good. Um, you know, if the Jets lose on Sunday, look, the odds will be against them. The team just won't be finished. I think if the team had started one and five, they'd be completely finished. We'd be talking about draft position at two and four. I think you still have to acknowledge that your odds are not great. Now, look, the obvious candidate, the guy who's constantly being mes- mentioned is Kirk Cousins out in Minnesota. And of course, there's history between Kirk Cousins and the Jets. If you're not familiar with it back in 2018, he was a free agent. He left Washington and the two bidders were the Jets and Minnesota. And it seems like in retrospect, you know, based on some of the things that have come out since then, Cousins was never really that interested in the Jets. In fact, there were reports the Jets actually offered him more money than Minnesota, but it sounds like Cousins kind of used the Jets as leverage to try and get the Vikings to increase their bid. Now, outside of Woody Johnson, who even Woody Johnson wasn't really here because he was he was the ambassador to the UK at that time, nobody from the Jets is really around from that point, or at least none of the key decision makers are still around from that point. So I don't know if there's any real bad blood there. I think the question is whether Minnesota would actually trade Kirk Cousins because you can do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. I mean, what's Minnesota going to do at quarterback going forward? I'm not saying Cousins necessarily stays, but I'm not sure Minnesota is going to be willing to trade him in season without a plan. But he's the logical candidate because if you actually look at his contract, it's pretty reasonable. Um, You know, his base salary this year is only about $10 million. And you have to remember about a quarter of that's already paid. So it'd be, I don't know, about $7.5 million left to pay because he's already been paid like, you know, for, for the games he's played already. So that comes off his cap, his, that comes off his future cap hit. Uh, 
and there's not really anything else because he's a free agent after the season. So if you're looking for a quarterback who's a rental, who you're not gonna have, you're not gonna have any complications next year when Aaron Rodgers comes back. Well, Cousins is about to hit free agency, and not only that, I mean, if you let him go, you're probably looking at a high compensatory pick in return. So you could, you know, you could even make the case trade a third or a fourth round pick for Cousins and then play the comp pick game. And if you do that, then you'll you'll essentially get him, you know, just for whatever he costs monetarily because. If you trade like a third or a fourth round pick, you could let him walk in free agency and then get a third or fourth round comp pick in return. I guess if there's an option, that that would be the one. I think I still think there are some complications though with this. I think that you know, first of all, is Minnesota going to want to trade him? Second of all, you know, I don't get the feeling, and this could change quickly. I, I don't get the feeling the Jets are ready to move on from Zach Wilson right now. Now, bad get bad game Sunday, maybe that's different, but it feels like the at least in the locker room, the feeling around Zach is a lot better than it was a year ago. A year ago, I mean, the way the team reacted to Zach Wilson, I don't think I've ever seen a team so publicly quit on the quarterback the way the Jets did a year ago with Zach Wilson. This year, at least on the surface, it seems like everybody's behind him at this point. And while that could change, you know, it's tough to say. I think that there are lots of complications, though, to, to making a trade in season for a quarterback work. I think that maybe we overstate the difficulty it will take in learning a new system because systems across the NFL aren't that different from each other. You're all running the same plays and really learning a new system. The biggest obstacle is the terminology of what, you know, what a play is called, you know, what's, what, what's the play call in this playbook versus what's the play call called in that playbook. But even then a lot of these coaches have very similar play calls have similar terminology. So you can pick it up relatively quickly. I mean, I think he's the guy, but I would still guess there's not going to be a trade anywhere. And I, I don't even know that there's another option right now that would give you a better chance than Zach Wilson or even Trevor Simeon. I think the big the big obstacle is quarterbacks are perhaps the most difficult commodity to find in the NFL. So if you got one, why would you trade him? Why would you give up? Even if you have a good backup, you're one snap away from needing your backup to win you games. I mean, you watch the Jets with happened with Aaron Rodgers. I think if I'm another team, I'm saying that could be me. My starting quarterback could go down. I better make sure I hold on to my good backup. I think it's unlikely. I think if there's if there is a guy, you know, there's starting to become some buzz around Kirk Cousins. So despite his history with the Jets, I think he probably would be the guy. Um, it's difficult to say though. Next question, John, with the down downward turn for Hardman on the team, do you think they may bring up Brownlee from the practice squad? It seems Wilson and Lazard are the only receivers making a contribution. Maybe Brownlee comes in with three receiver sets on the outside or moves Wilson or Lazard into the slot for a better matchup. I don't understand why they aren't playing Hardman. And this is amazing for me to say because I was a huge skeptic of this signing. Like I did not love I did not like the signing that all that much. But geez, you gotta be better than what you're getting from Randall Cobb. I, I just I don't understand like why they're so willing to move on from him right now without at least giving him a chance to show what he can do because for all of his shortcomings. I mean, these are the things he can add that like nobody else can on the roster. He's got speed. So you at least have to respect his ability to run deep routes. And he can, even if he's kind of a decoy, he can at least clear out the safety and create more space for guys underneath. And he also has some degree of ability to make plays with the ball in his hand. So you can, you know, manufacture touches for him in space, try and get him going that way. I mean, I, I don't know that Brownlee's going to come from the practice squad and be that great. Although I will say this, I think practically, I mean, Look, Randall Cobb's probably going to start producing more just because it's impossible in the NFL to play as much as Randall Cobb has played and produce this little. I mean, he's got to get better just by the the law of averages because he 
even though he's not a, even though he's not a productive player, even though he's not helping anybody, there's no way he can be this bad going forward. So Cobb's going to start producing a little bit more, but he's just I don't see what the point of having him on the field is. I mean, the only like semi-coherent argument for having Cobb on this team this year was the chemistry he had with Aaron Rodgers. And even that, I think, was an enormous stretch because Randall Cobb really has nothing left to offer as a player. I, You can bring guys up on the practice squad. In fact, um, earlier this week, Irv Charles was promoted back from the practice squad to the active roster after the play he made in special team Sunday against Denver. But I, I don't I, – I, before I did anything like with another receiver, I'd give Hardman a chance because even if his production hasn't been spectacular, he does have, at least have a history of producing to some degree in the NFL – I don't get it. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we'll turn our attention to the offensive line. Joe Douglas's work there, it's kind of controversial. Has it been bad luck? Has it been bad moves by Joe Douglas? A little bit of both. I'll tell you what I think, continuing this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Lockdown Jets podcast. This episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Lockdown Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players who are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Baker Mayfield, to the surprise of many, has been a borderline QB1 in fantasy while enjoying his most efficient season as a reality passer. Coming off a Buccaneers Week 5 bye, he should need to pass for high volume in a matchup against Jared Goff and the Red, red Hot Lions at home in Week 6. Mayfield has been locked on to a variety of receivers, and the Lions can struggle to cover slot target Chris Godwin and tight end Cade Otten. The Bucs also won't be able to run as much on Detroit, leading to passing digits from Mayfield. Vinny Iyer from Lockdown Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows a championship team is all about each player being a perfect fit. The same goes for your vehicle. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Jets your first listen or first watch every day. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes each day through the week, Monday through Friday, and then bonus episodes as needed. We continue with our weekly mailbag. Next question. Under Mike McCagnin, we saw what a bad job of building an offensive line looks like. Do you think Joe Douglas is doing a bad job also? And do you think he'll continue to struggle? Or do you think that the poor performance is more attributable to factors beyond his control? And if he gets another couple of years, that will level out, and we will see the quality of the offensive line get closer to what we're seeing on the defensive line. So the question is, has Joe Douglas had bad luck on the offensive line or has Joe Douglas done a bad job? I think the answer is a little bit of both. Now, Mike McCagnin was mentioned. The thing with Mike McCagnin was he kind of viewed the offensive line as an afterthought. He did not invest big resources up front. It's one of the most baffling things how an NFL general manager could feel like the offensive line was not an important component of a football team. But, I mean, he had a lot of reclamation projects from Ryan Clady to Kelvin Beecham at left tackle, even though Beecham kind of worked. I mean, he invested some mid-round picks in some guys. Brandon Shell was kind of a hit. And then some, you know, a couple free agent moves. But Mike McCagnin did not really seem to care about the offensive line. He kind of viewed it as a spot where you could save money, where you could save resources. It, it was one of the more baffling things I, I've ever seen. 
Joe Douglas clearly cares about the offensive line. I mean, look at the resources he's invested. He's invested two first round picks in four drafts. He's invested a second round pick. You know, he's made priority free agent signings there. His moves just haven't been very good. And there's been some bad luck, of course. You know, you look at Mekhi Becton. I mean, Mekhi Becton is actually a good example of the Joe Douglas experience on offensive line because I think Mekhi Becton is an example of both bad evaluation and bad luck. I think when we talk about the evaluation, he's been injured. So look, that that factors in. As a rookie, he beat expectations. But I think sometimes we say, like, I'm not expecting much from this guy. He was better than I expected as a rookie. That's different from saying he looked like a franchise left tackle. You know, it was up and down for him. And I think that if we're being objective, you know, even if he had stayed healthy, based on what I saw his rookie year, based on what I've seen this year, I think it's very difficult to say that he would be better than Tristan Wirfs, who is a player Joe Douglas passed on. So, and this has been kind of an ongoing theme with Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas values traits, you know, physical attributes, physical skills, you know, strength, uh, frame, big frame, athleticism. He values that over anything else. He values that over, you know, understanding the nuances of your position. And that's a philosophical thing. You know, it's not that one's necessarily good or one or the opposite's necessarily bad. Joe Douglas got that from Ozzie Newsom, and Ozzie Newsom took that approach over the course of, you know, over a decade in Baltimore and was one of the best talent evaluators in the NFL. So that that approach can work. I just don't think Joe Douglas has done a great job with that approach, especially on the offensive line. Now, of course, back then, there's also been bad luck, though. I mean, how, how can you predict that the guy's going to suffer serious knee injuries back-to-back years? You can't. Elijah Barrett Tucker is another good example. He's a good player. I don't, you know, I don't think he's necessarily, that's necessarily a failed pick. There's bad luck there. But I think you can all, it's also fair to look back on that trade up Joe Douglas made in 2021 because the Jets traded with the Minnesota Vikings. So they, they gave Minnesota, they gave Minnesota their lower first round pick and two third round picks. And with that lower first round pick, the Vikings drafted Christian Derrissaw, who, if Elijah Vera Tucker's been good, I think Derrissaw has been more valuable for Minnesota than ABT has been for the Jets. So even ABT was not a bad move trading up, you know, not necessarily, but. I still think you look at it, Minnesota had the lower pick and probably got the better player, even if AVT stays healthy. And they got two third round picks in addition to that. So it's one of those things where, you know, you can make a case either way. But I think if you could do, if you had the option, would you do that trade up over? I think you'd probably stay where you were, take Derisaw and keep the extra third round picks because you're probably getting a better player and you're keeping two additional third round picks. AVT, there's again, bad luck. I mean, how could you predict a triceps injury and then a torn Achilles? You can't. But that's part of the gamble when you trade up in those in that spot. And if you go back to what I said on draft night in 2021, when the Jets traded up for AVT, what it told me was that AVT was like the last elite lineman on the board for the Jets. That proved, I think that that proved to be a shaky evaluation because Darosaw was there. Minnesota got him. And he's again, I think he's been better. So you look at some, you know, the, the signings on the signings up front. Um, Connor McGovern's been a pretty good signing, but um, Megan Tomlinson's been a bad signing. George Fant, I think there was more bad than good. Fant had like the one good year in 2021, but I think two of the three years were not very good. Um, you look at what they did this year. I mean, I thought I think going into the season with Dwayne Brown and Becton with no real plan B, that was a bad plan. I think at the end of the day, it's been bad luck. It's been bad execution by Joe Douglas. He hasn't been as bad as McCagnan. I mean, look, I'd rather have a guy with a good plan who just executes it poorly than a guy with a bad plan. McCagnan had the bad plan. Joe Douglas has the good plan that's been poorly executed. But that said, I mean, I don't think Douglas has done a very good job on the offensive line. And I think that it's the reason it's the big reason this is the weakness sometimes. And listen, he's had some bad fortune along the way, but 
he's also made some moves that you can look back on and say, you know, I don't know that that was necessarily the best thing he could have done there. Next question is from Pat. John, it feels like every week the Jets are getting called on a roughing the passer penalty. Some of the calls I agree with, but many of them have been borderline at best. But that's not really the true problem. The problem rests in the fact that Jets have not had a roughing the passer call in their paper since December 19th, 2021. I find that statistically impossible. During that time, the Jets have been called for almost 40. Am I wrong for being frustrated by this? No, you're not wrong for being frustrated by this. In fact, on Sunday, I mean, early in that game, if you saw, it was a blatantly blown call that, you know, a guy, Nick Benito, hit Zach Wilson in the head, which should be an automatic roughing the passer call that the officials did not throw a flag on. So you're not wrong for being angry over this. I think where, where, where I lose the thread on this is when people act like there's a conspiracy against the Jets in the league office, like the league's conspiring to have bad calls go against the Jets because those people like always ignore when, when a call goes in the Jets favor, you know, they're bad, bad calls are rampant through the league. I think part of the issue is that, you know, the players are just so big and fast these days that it's difficult for the officials in the NFL to keep up with what's going on. So I don't think you're wrong about it. I think the Jets have, have really been the recipient of a lot of bad calls when we talk about roughing the passer on both sides of the ball. I don't think that's a sign that the league's out to get the Jets, though. First of all, there are lots of calls that go the Jets' way, and nobody, nobody ever talks about that. But second is I think you need to understand, and this, this is something the league will never admit, but you need to understand why roughing the passer is called the way it is in the NFL. And again, the NFL will never admit to this, but there's a real reason the NFL calls roughing the passer the way it does. They're trying to protect the star quarterbacks. Because, you know, you hear a lot of fans complain, oh, it's like touch football these days. You can't hit anybody. But these are the same people who will complain if, like, you get to a playoff game and you have two backup quarterbacks in there. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep the star quarterbacks alive. They're trying to keep the star quarterbacks from getting hurt. And that's the reason they're so strict with these roughing the passer calls. So teams with star quarterbacks benefit from this. I guarantee you, if Aaron Rodgers was playing, the Jets would have had a roughing the passer call in their favor. They would have had multiple ones. A lot of the ones, a lot of the hits Zach Wilson's taken would be roughing the passer calls with Aaron Rodgers. And the NFL will never admit that, but it's true. And because the Jets have Zach Wilson right now, I don't. I think that's the reason they're not getting the calls. Is that fair? No. Should you be upset with that? Sure. But I think that's. It, I think that's the reason. I think that they're much more willing to throw flags on hits on star, star quarterbacks, and that's really the reason. The, that's the big reason the Jets haven't gotten those calls. And you're you're right to be upset about that because. They should call the game fairly. I don't think it's like the NFL's out to get the Jets. I think again, if Aaron Rodgers was here, was here, you'd see you'd be seeing a very different thing play out because it makes no sense for the NFL to conspire against the team in its biggest market. But the teams that you know have the Zach Wilsons, they aren't going to get the calls the team with the teams like the Aaron Rodgers is get. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we'll close out this mailbag show. We're going to talk about Robert Sala. Is he doing a good job? What are the, some of the issues with him? We'll talk about it continuing this Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Jets podcast. This episode of Locked on Jets is brought to you by Jace Medical. Everybody should be empowered to take care of for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping you'll have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Get $20 off these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, one word, at jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Wednesday mailbag show. Our next question, John, do you think Robert Sala is a better coach than Todd Bowles? I see a lot of similarities between the two in terms of their conservative approach. 
And if you've been listening to me since training camp, since the preseason, I've been pretty open about this, that, you know, I was the first two years I was very wait and see on Robert Sala. I really have a lot of questions about him right now. I think that there, there's, there are a lot of things I don't like. Uh, and, you know, one of them is the conservative approach that we saw in this offense on Sunday. And I know the Jets won the game and I know they put up 400 yards of offense. And I know that, you know, they, they put up, they had some scoring drives in the second half, but I, I thought they were way too conservative. I thought that their approach, essentially, you know, running the ball like almost every first and second down really limited their ability to make big plays because, you know, Denver was pretty easily able to, prevent the big you know, Brees Hall had that 72 yard run but if you know a team's going to run it every time it's much easier to shut down the big play I mean maybe you can grind out a five six yard run but it's harder to break those long runs if the other team's keying on the run consistently because they know there's no threat of the pass and it's also really tough to you know matric- matriculate the ball down the field so they say if it you if it requires 12 plays to get it into the end zone because you need guys to execute at a high level every single play you got to throw in some chunk plays here or there and I don't think the Jets did a particularly good job of that. I mean, the two big plays that they made were the one time they had to throw it, and Zach hit Tyler Conklin for the 38-yard gain. And then there was one big play where they actually went to play action, and Zach threw the ball down the field. And the reason that I'm saying this is the Jets were settling for field goals in the second half of that game Sunday when a touchdown would have put it away. That game never should have gotten to a point where Denver had the ball with the chance to win it in the final two minutes. And that's where the Jets ended up because of how conservative their approach was. So, you know, I have a lot of issues with the way Salah has run this team. I, in fact, you know, in the summer, I mentioned three issues I had. One is that I, I was concerned with the quality of his assistant hires. And Nathaniel Hackett's done nothing to remedy that concern. I think out, out of the five games, the only game where I liked his game plan was Kansas City. That was the only that was the only time where I felt like he had a good approach to the game. And I, I can even give him a pass for the Buffalo game because Rodgers went down four plays in and they kind of had to scrap what they were doing. But outside of that, I mean, I think that Hackett's been a shaky hire. And I understand Hackett's here in no small part because he was he was the guy that was supposed to help them get Aaron Rodgers. But that wasn't the only reason. Hackett and Salah go way back. And I think Salah hired one of his friends. And I don't think it's really working out that well for the Jets. Uh, another issue that I had in the summer, which I think has been a little bit better, is I was concerned that they had a lot of young players. You know, Last year, there were lots of issues with young players who, you know, had just weren't connecting with the coaching staff. I do think that's gotten better. And of the areas where Hackett, I think, is doing a good job, I think that's one of them. I actually think, like, I don't like most of what Hackett's doing. I think his play design's not good. I think his play calling's not good. I think his game planning's not good. I don't think he he designs, I don't think he utilizes the right talent. I don't think the players he puts on the field are very, are very smart. I, I, I don't think he's, I'm sorry, I don't think he's very smart in terms of how he utilizes his players. I do think he's good at getting at connecting with players. I think he's good at getting guys to buy in. So that I think is a a positive uh, of the issues that I had with Salah. But overall, I've got a lot of concerns. I mean, there are lots of guys who are very good coordinators and not great head coaches. And at this point in time, I wonder whether Salah is one of them. Now, I think one of you know you talk about Bulls, and again, the jury's out whether Salah is ultimately better than Bulls. One area where Salah does remind me of Bulls is dealing with the media, and it's something that should not matter. But I think like the message you put out to your fan base, it inf- it influences people. And I think much like Bowles, Salah has not mastered the art of coach speak because there's a way you can like frame things that is very uncontroversial, yet it sounds like you know what you're talking about. I'll give you an example. After the disaster New England game Zach Wilson had, Salah gets in gets in front of the media and says, Zach Wilson's not the reason we lost this game. Zach Wilson's getting better, which was ridiculous. And when you say something like that, 
it make now Salah knows Zach Wilson was a Salah absolutely knows Zach Wilson was the reason the Jets lost that game against New England. And he's he knows that he's lying. He knows Zach Wilson was not getting better after that game against New England. But he doesn't want to throw Zach Wilson under the bus. So he he goes out and says that and he sounds completely disconnected. So fans say this, this, this guy has no idea what's going on in his team. Whereas like a more reasonable way to answer that, the, the, the coach speak way to kind of take the air out of the ball would be something like, look, Zach's the first, Zach would be the first one to tell you he's got to play better than that. But you know something as a coaching staff, we got to do, we got to do better. We got to put him in better positions. You say something non-controversial, it sounds reasonable. You're not throwing your quarterback. In, but Zach, I could give you a million examples of Salah doing that, where he just like sounds totally disengaged. And I think that's part of his problem is that the perception is that he doesn't know what's going on with his team sometimes because he just like doesn't use coach speak properly. Ultimately, though, I, I agree with you. I'm concerned about the conservative approach. I'm very look. I'm happy to change my opinion as as uh, events dictate. Listen, I change my opinion on players all the time. Quincy Williams last year, I thought was just an okay guy. This year, I think he's a star. So, if the performance improves by Salah, I'll be happy to say that. But right now, I, I agree with you. I have some concerns about Salah. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Lockdown Jets Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps us out. Helps other Jets fans find the show. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.